If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 116 of the Leading Learning Podcast. This time around, we talk with Dr. William Clements. He's Vice President and Dean of the College of Graduate and Continuing Studies at Norwich University. Before we get to that interview, though, we want to acknowledge our sponsor for the first quarter of 2018. That's right. We're happy to have Blue Sky eLearn sponsoring this quarter. Blue Sky is the maker of the PATH Learning Management System, an award-winning cloud-based learning solution that empowers your organization to maximize its message. Blue Sky also provides a range of virtual event and instructional services to help you maximize your content and create deeper engagement with your audience. To find out more about Blue Sky eLearn and everything it offers, visit blueskyelearn.com. For the resource for this episode, we're going to point you to some excerpts from a book that Bill Clements mentions during his interview. It's called Robot Proof, Higher Education in the Age of Artificial Intelligence, and it's by Joseph Ayun. Ayun is the president of Northeastern University, and he offers some really great perspectives and insights on the role of education in a world where artificial intelligence and robotics are playing an ever-increasing role. We actually recommend that you read the whole book, but these excerpts will give you a good sense of what it's about, and we'll include the link for those excerpts in the show notes for this episode, which you can find at leadinglearning.com slash episode 116. Now, Jeff, I know that artificial intelligence was just one of many topics you touched on with Bill Clements. That's right. We really covered a, a wide range of topics. In fact, I think we could have kept talking for another hour or two beyond what we did, but I didn't want to subject leading learning (laughs) listeners to that length of an interview. But uh, he's a very interesting guy. He's been in higher education, continuing education for for decades, has seen a lot of change. Um, I really got interested in Norwich because they are partnered with NIGP, the Institute for Public Procurement, where I serve on the board. And uh, I wanted to find out more about that partnership, but also just more about how Norwich is approaching partnerships in general, because it's an important part of what they do. And of course, we're hearing more and more for organizations that they're they're looking for, or they've already entered into those kind of academic association partnerships around credentialing, around getting higher education credit for uh, association uh, education. And so it, it was a very fertile area of discussion. But uh, you know, as you indicated, we talked about artificial intelligence, we talked about a, a wide range of topics. This is one that leading learning listeners definitely want to tune in. Well, great. Then without further ado, on to the interview. Hello out there. I'm Jeff Cobb, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Today, I'm very happy to be joined by Dr. William Clements, Vice President and Dean of the College of Graduate and Continuing Studies at Norwich University. I became familiar with Bill and Norwich through my role as a board member at NIGP, the Institute for Public Procurement. And NIGP is collaborating with Norwich, and that's certainly one of the topics we want to cover today. But before we dive into that, first, I'd just like to say, Bill, thanks so much for joining me on the Leading Learning Podcast. Well, Jeff, thanks so much for having me. I look forward to uh, talking about what's happening in the education world today. Well, as we were saying before we jumped on the interview, it's a, it's a timely time to, uh, to be talking. Uh, a lot has uh, happened in the world of continuing education, and uh, there's a lot of potential, I think, for collaboration between the, the different players out there in the world of continuing education. But 
But first, I'm going to make the assumption that uh, many of our listeners may not be familiar with Norwich University and everything that goes on there, and particularly everything that you do online. So you know, maybe we could start out with you just giving a, give us a brief overview of, of Norwich and, and, and what you do there. Why, certainly, and most, uh, most pleased to do so. Um, for those that uh, may not be aware, Norwich is one of the oldest universities in, in the United States. Uh, we were founded in 1819 by Captain Alden Partridge. Uh, we are one of the six senior military colleges. I think most folks are familiar with the service academies, uh, West Point, Annapolis, etc. Uh, in parallel with that, there are six uh, senior military colleges in federal law that are uh, really centers of ROTC and produce a significant number of the, an important number of um, officers for U.S. military through the ROTC program. In fact, Norwich is the birthplace of ROTC. The concept was uh, uh, begun here. Uh, we just recently celebrated the 100th anniversary of ROTC on, on campus a few years ago. Uh, our history is uh, is uh, rich uh, and, uh, and varied as a military college, but uh, we are also a, um, a civilian institution presently uh, on our campus in uh, in central Vermont. Um, the uh, Corps of Cadets, which is the military component of our university, is uh, its strongest levels ever. Uh, we're presently at about a little over 1,600 students in the Corps. About two-thirds of those students will commission into the U.S. Uh, Armed Forces, uh, the largest number, of course, going into the uh, U.S. Army. Uh, and we have approximately 800 uh, students, uh, civilian students on campus. Our mix actually approximates the uh, U.S. Department of Defense. So those serving in uniform also serve alongside of and about that proportion uh, civilian personnel as well. Uh, Norwich has been instrumental in many ways in, in the history of the, uh, of the United States, certainly in producing a number of, uh, of key, uh, key military leaders and civilian leaders. Uh, but but also, as I said, uh, shifting in many ways the uh, uh, type of education we offer. We are very much experientially based. And I might add that our founder, Captain Parkridge, actually was the uh, superintendent at West Point at one time. Uh, his ideas for uh, reforming education uh, were, for instance, added, uh, I think we may be the first uh, private uh, civil engineering program in, in the uh, in the country, and to study um, study uh, applied subjects in a very Jeffersonian way to build the nation, and really that's guided us pretty consistently throughout our history, contributing to the uh, to the security of the country, but also as the citizen soldier, um, building the economy of the country. So uh, uh, we continue to do that, and more recently, I would say uh, we celebrated our 20 years for our online programs. 20-year anniversary, have developed a, a suite of uh, distance education programs that serve an adult uh, audience, uh, roughly between 1,600 and 2,000 students, about 40% of which are um, in the military or, or retired military. That includes our active duty forces, guard, reserve, uh, and veterans. So we're pleased uh, to offer programs at the master's level, uh, 12 programs there, and we have six degree completion programs at the bachelor's level and are presently planning uh, and adding to a whole array of, uh, of other offerings for professional development, continuing education for our students. I think that uh, 
that 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 sums up almost 200 years. We're preparing for our 200th, <laughs> uh, 200th anniversary, so uh, it could be rather long. But, uh, well, but I. Well, I think I hit the high points. Well, well done putting that in a short space. And I, I learned at least two things. There are at least two things that I'll call out. I, uh, I either did not know or had not remembered that you were the birthplace of uh, ROTC, um, which is a, a, a remarkable fact. And then, um, and I didn't realize that you'd been doing online for twenty years. So you've been doing, you know, online about as long as online has been a thing to do uh, in, uh, in in education. Yeah. And uh, are, are those two things connected? Because I feel like the military has always sort of, you know, pushed the envelope uh, some in terms of trying to move education online, I guess because of the population that uh, you tend to serve with, with education. So is, I assume there's a connection there? Well, I think what, what really has prompted the, uh, the shift toward, uh, toward more uh, distance education um, has been the uh, technology mm-hmm. that is uh, certainly uh, enhanced, right? It's been an enabler for us. To uh, to spread beyond and to deliver education in ways and to people that previously didn't have access. If you look at the if you look at the growth in higher ed from about 2000 up through present, we've seen some dips in higher ed in, in the last few years, um, some declines. Uh, right now, about 18 and a half million students enrolled in, in all of higher ed. But what we're seeing is a greater proportion of those students now are adult students, not your traditional um, 18 to 22 or 23-year-old on a campus. And in large part, those populations, uh, the adult population, has been enabled by the, uh, by the technology and the access. Uh, so that's been a very positive, um, I think, a positive development for many of us that have taught and, and for many years you know, was in the traditional classroom, uh, always using technology. Uh, I think the enhancements in the uh, in the internet, and then the other technologies that have been built around that to facilitate delivery, have been um, have been a key reason that we've seen a greater role for uh, distance education. Mm. That spawned another platform, if you will, that now has us looking more carefully at. Um, how we really leverage that in a more productive way to to produce much better education outcomes using data analytics to understand learning and learning right. science and effectiveness of outcomes. So what you what you probably see in the media at times and maybe we'll see increasingly is the concept of competency-based education and kind of moving away from thinking of a degree as how much time you're sitting in a seat in a classroom to how you're demonstrating the core outcomes and competencies of a particular field. And that's kind of divorced from the clock. It doesn't have to be tied to the clock. Right. It can be something that can be achieved quicker. And so I think the reason the military benefits significantly from distance education is certainly with the deployment of, uh, of forces uh, around the globe um, that problematic for, the, for access under, under some of those uh, situations. Uh, but also the military probably has been, you know, more conscious of uh, very carefully design, designing uh, programs of instruction and kind of breaking out very clear paths for a progression in fields. And that's really an underlying if, to move into distance education to be effective. Uh, any education, frankly, is really clear specification of your goals and your outcomes and the measures for, for getting there. 
Well, you've just, you've just touched on a, a number of areas of interest that I know <laughs> I have, and, that I, and I think uh, listeners will have. Um, so I'll start though with um, with competency uh, based education, and uh, you know you. You, if I understand correctly, kind of wear two hats. You've got the graduate programs and you've got continuing education. Yes. How, how, in your experience, has the, the competency approach factored into continuing education? I mean, is, is that a, a, a presence in continuing education? It is, but you won't hear people using the word competency-based education. Mm. I don't think that has uh, diffused, if you will, or profused into our vocabulary and larger understanding the way people are talking about college and and a college education. Where where I see it emerging is a greater recognition that learning is taking place in a variety of environments. And frankly, um, I, I think uh, education institutions are very important, obviously, but not exclusively so. Uh, what we've seen happen through either corporate settings uh, and certainly the military, many of our military students are able to bring in credit for the uh, uh education and training programs that they've uh, taken in the military that have been thoroughly reviewed by educators mm. uh, and found to be you know worthy of credit. So wh- what we're seeing is more of that emerging as the world has become more complex and certainly associations, um, professional associations, have focused on providing um, uh, services and certifications and things of that nature to their uh, to their membership. Or clients, and and that learning is uh, can be uh, very effective, and in many cases has some equivalencies to what we would think of as the objectives of a, in a college degree. So we're not talking about it necessarily as as overtly as competency based education, but we've increasingly expanded our view of of the learning that occurs uh, among students, and particularly because I focus on adults, they're typically bringing a lot to the table. Right. So, you know, an av- a student that my a- average student is probably, depending upon the programs, between 32 and 35 years old. Mm-hmm. And so many of those folks have accrued uh, experience in their career, whether they're working in a procurement office for government or a contractor or in some other form of government or business. Um, they've had some experiences and perhaps some training and perhaps have taken some college. So we're trying to combine all of those. I think the real um, exciting part about the future is recognizing that and taking those um, learning accomplishments that have occurred, uh, what our accrediting bodies refer to as extra-institutional learning, right? Um, and coupling that with institutional learning to achieve the uh, uh, educational objectives. And, and you talked also about uh, you know data, the the role of data, uh, looking at learning outcomes. Uh, now, I would assume part of the data you're talking about is being able to get what you need to know about those uh, uh, non-institutional learning experiences, uh, the experience that they're bringing from out in the world, and br- being able to bring all that data together. But uh, but how how else are you looking at data in, in terms of outcome? I mean, do you have specific initiatives underway there where you're trying to, to make better use of, of data for your, for your planning, for your programming? Oh, a- absolutely. And I think this reflects, we were talking a little bit earlier about kind of, uh, you know, instructional design or digital learning uh, 1.0, 2.0. Mm-hmm. And I think we're making the shift into 3.0, right? Um, so let me just kind of briefly describe that. I think 1.0 was was what we 
uh, what we conceive of as our traditionally delivered education. You know, you go to a classroom, a professor lectures, you write some papers, read, and we, we have this frame of reference, many of us, for that experience in a classroom. 2.0 was enabled when we moved into the web. Uh, those technologies allowed us now to deliver that education to a wider audience, not constrained by time or place necessarily, and put it into digital form. Now, the problem was, well, I it's a problem. I think we're evolving. It's not, it's not so much I was involved in, in that period. And it was really a great thing to be able to take content and move it into a, yeah. what we would uh, what, what emerged as the conventional learning management system. Right. right. Well, what they ended up being and what they are in the, in the debate in the in the learning science uh, field and the instructional technology about whether we should be using LMSs or whether we shouldn't. But the point is that they ended up being, in many cases, and particularly in the earlier stages of this, a replication of what we did in the classroom. Mm -hmm. So if there was a lecture we delivered in the classroom, we wrote it up and put it into the into the learning management system. And if there was a syllabus we used, we took that just like we were using in a classroom and in many cases dropped it in into the uh, learning management system. So we're essentially replicating what we were doing in the classrooms. Uh, learning 3.0, right? Online learning 3.0 was going beyond that. And so it's, it's, it's as much about the science of learning, the effectiveness of learning. And so how can we now in that electronic environment collect data on folks. So, you know, one of the beauties of being, uh, being in a, and in, in teaching in, in, in an online uh, class is that you know who's been in there. And, you know, you have a record of discussions that have gone on and you have so many data points on the substance of exercises and things of that nature. The question is then how do you capture that data in, in, through analytics? Uh, identify, for instance, and this is discussions that we're having, students that are at risk. Mm-hmm. Identify High impact practices, right? Um, if we if we did an assignment this way, uh, we tried it another way. Well, it looks like you know version B actually the students are learning more from that. Where you where you may see this in the in the media is in any discussion about the MOOCs or the massive open online courses, right? I don't believe they they I don't think they've evolved as the solution to to eliminate higher education institutions. I think that's pretty clear, despite the early calls that that was going to happen. What I think their major contribution has been, however, is the learning science that has mm-hmm. come from tremendous amount of data. A lot, a lot of data, yeah. yeah. Yeah, a lot of data. And and I've seen um, some presentations from some of the folks at MIT, in uh, particular at Harvard, in the edX consortium uh, about how um, how they've been able to iterate very quickly, almost in real time, actually to the point where if students are watching a video, you can track where they went back to rewatch it, and you could see where the problem points might be um, and be able to emphasize maybe a, a recreation of the video to explain it differently. We've had some of that experience in our own online programs where we've had problems in our engineering program, for instance, that that just were intractable. We know the students weren't going to do well and began to experience, uh, experiment with different digital simulations to teach the point and found dramatic increases in performance um, in comprehension and learning. So mm. uh, I think that's the analytics part. We're only starting to scratch the surface on, uh, on what that can do to become much more effective in, in, in the, uh, both 
the teaching and the interaction and, and, and the student retention and learning and performance. Well, it's definitely a, a very exciting area, one with tremendous potential. And um, so you've you've touched on on that the the opportunity with uh, data and um, and you know competency competency based education. Certainly, both of those have so much potential in, in the world of uh, education. I wonder. I, I, I assume you've been in this field for for a while. Um, how else have you seen things? evolve in in recent years? I mean, how is, in particular, how has continuing education changed from, from your perspective? Well, I, I frankly think I, I was felt like it earlier in my career. Uh, I've been, been in higher ed probably approaching 40 years uh, now. And, and uh, earlier in my career, particularly at, at Norwich University, you know, starting out as a, a young assistant professor um, in hearing the discussions about lifelong learning, I always felt that the the more traditional concept of lifelong learning was just a little shallow and not broad enough in the sense that, you know, on campus we talk about instilling a love of lifelong learning in our students. And, and then they graduate and we hope that it happened. Right. right? <laughs> um, I, I view, I view uh, learning as a process that occurs throughout our lifetime. So it's, it's going on before a student comes to the university or decides to enter a more formal program, whatever point in their life they are. But certainly, you know, the days, and so one of the bigger changes I think that's occurred over the last number of decades is that getting the college degree alone uh, isn't, and increasingly isn't simply enough of, um, of a proxy about your capabilities and performance, number one. And so what we're seeing is discussion, and we're discussing this at our, our own university and our own programs about, well, how can we provide other companion credentials that are embedded in a, in a student's experience while they're earning their degree? So whether that be, you know, uh, in coding of some kind or some kind of a cyber area or another, uh, is, is uh, Dr. Ayun, the president of Northeastern uh, University, Talks about the new competencies in a in a in his book on robot robot proof education. I mm. would highly recommend folks read that. Um, and it's not a hard read either, but it lays out the competencies of where we need to be in education in terms of having technology, but also communication, team building skills, uh, kind of a you know international global understanding and competency. Uh, all very important, uh, very important things. And so these are, we're seeing a shift in kind of embedding more of that and paying a lot more attention to outcomes and performance. But also, the world that we're in uh, is cha- changing so rapidly that that it's, uh, it's, it's no longer the case where you could go to college, get your degree, and then have a long-term career without really having to go back and do a whole lot more education. So continuing ed, I, I, I don't think of it so much as continuing it as I do professional development education, mm-hmm. right? So to allow folks to be up in their field, to stay current with their fields, and and, to, and that's something that's going to happen over the lifetime. Right. Um, in, in, a, in a formal or informal setting. So when I talk to my team now, um, I've, I've been actually consciously over the last year trying to change my vocabulary. And I changed my vocabulary uh, not to refer only to students, but to refer to learners. Mm-hmm. Students are a subset of learners. Students are those that have entered a formal program that they may be our students because they're in a program, but they will always be learners. 
throughout their life. And so what are we doing to help our alums and help others adults through those transitions and through the, uh, the skill development, technical, technical development, whatever it is that they will encounter during a career, which will be frequent. So the technology, the economy, and the nature of the economy and to remain robot-proof, uh, if you will, right. which is, you know, it's the projections are actually pretty, uh, well, depending upon where you're sitting, could be scary. Because some of the major jobs that we have today um, out there, um, Ayun uh, and others have predicted that some major, um, major professions are going to go away <laughs> in the next 20 years because of artificial intelligence. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's... Uh... I think the the average person and even the average person who's involved in education and learning is not necessarily fully tuned into how fast things are evolving uh, with uh, artificial intelligence and how it will impact uh, how we need to learn and, and how we educate people uh, as a result. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And as I said before, um, it's not simply, you know, we've we've aligned with it as partnered with uh, uh, a boot camp. Right, a cyber uh, cybersecurity boot camp that's doing a fabulous job. They can't put out people fast enough, right? So, so the learning and the education isn't simply coming from the higher ed institutions exclusively mm-hmm. anymore. There's some very high quality um, instruction learning going on um, in in our partners. Um, whether they be businesses or, as I said before, the military or some of the professional associations that we've aligned with. So I think, you know, in my view, the future of the university is really coupling learning. And this is especially important for the uh, traditional age undergraduate student to couple with with industry, right, Mm -hmm. to be be relevant, right? So we, we need to find ways to make education affordable, relevant, and flexible. And that's um, and that's really a key set of values that's, that's driving where we're going. Well, and that's that's a great segue because I had, I had mentioned in the introduction that uh, that I know you because of NIGP, the the Institute for Public Procurement, which you know is a a large national association in in the procurement field, serves uh, people who work in the, in that profession, and um, and you've partnered with them. You're collaborating with them. Um, it'd be it'd be great to hear. From you, uh, you know how are you? How are you collaborating with you know professional organizations like that, uh, trade associations potentially, uh, and, and and corporations? I mean, in general, you know, h- how do you partner with others, and how does that fit into this whole vision of lifelong learning that you've just been articulating? Oh, well, that's a that's a great question because it's it's really I think where where uh, higher ed. Uh, is going. Uh, some have been there faster than others. Um, if you look at Northeastern University, for instance, and their co-op program, I think those principles of partnering and um, and uh, providing education, but also in a highly experiential setting, mm-hmm. um, is really a key. The experiential learning is really a key. You know, what I found out, actually, we did a survey with our own students, our graduate students, uh, uh, last year, and um, replicated a national survey, so it was very, uh, very well done um, by Gallup uh, Corporation for us. Um, one of the things that surprised me was, you know, we thought we were doing experiential learning, but our students reported that maybe we weren't doing it um, 
the way we thought we were. I mean, they had a different expectation. So we're really looking very carefully at how we actually beef up how we're viewing experiential learning. So that's a key piece, but that's a key piece of the partnership puzzle mm-hmm. as well, uh, which is, as I said before, we've recognized that there's some very uh, very good learning going on out there through certifications and, uh, and programs in specific fields that that provide opportunities. It's really, think of it as a two-way street. So what I, I would like to see with our, with our graduate students and, and undergraduate adult students, and even, even to, a, to a degree with our campus-based students, is what credentials are available in addition to your education uh, that you could work on right. uh, as a student or maybe immediately after your student. So it's really, it's, it's looking out that way from the academy out to what, uh, what the high-quality um, uh, certification and credentialing is available to provide a skill set, an additional skill set to your formal education. From the other side, looking back from the association side or partner side, where good education is being delivered, uh, are there members that, that, that have a need, a desire to increase their education level and how can they leverage the um, the certifications and the credentials um, that they've earned, um, and and have that be recognized in an educational program. So I think it's it's really working in both directions to provide uh, a relevant experience um, and uh, and really produce the uh, the uh, the outcomes in a, in a you know, highly educated great uh, great workforce and to help help folks be adaptive. Um, we know that you know education and a certain amount of uh, skills and, and obtained through credentials, et cetera. Uh, you know, provide that um, provide that, uh, if you will, resilience uh, for folks to be successful over their life. And and so, in the case of you know, for example, NIGPs, since I've kind of brought them up as a case study here, sure. I mean, they yeah. you know there there is a certification in in procurement, you know, that uh, people who work yeah. in, in public procurement get that NIGP. Uh, uh, basically is, is behind um you know the so what what you're doing is making sure that uh that students that are in in your graduate programs and your certificate programs are, are really thinking about that that certification as an extension of their their educational experience their learning experience and then on the flip side nigp members who are earning or have earned that certification who are participating in continuing education uh, might have an opportunity to earn some academic credit uh, through you as, as part of their ongoing learning. Does that does that describe it correctly? Is that? Oh yes, yes, and I think you've hit upon um, you've hit upon an important um, an important area here because what uh, that's correct. So what we have done with our partners and NIGP uh, in particular is examined the uh, the certifications. And, and built pathways, looked at, looked at the, uh, the, uh, the outcomes from that learning and certification mm-hmm. and mapped that into our degree programs. Right. So that that's recognized. That there's no point when I talked about earlier a moment ago about making education affordable. Uh, there's no reason that somebody that has a certification, in this case in a procurement area field, for example, should have to come to the university and take courses uh, that essentially cover similar or the same material, right? right? If they've demonstrated the competencies. So we're right. back to the competency piece. So we're not really saying that, you know, overtly. It hasn't entered into the 
into the vocabulary or public vocabulary maybe as strongly, but that's what it is, right? It's recognizing achieved learning. Interesting, yeah. And helping helping reduce the cost of the education through that process. Uh, and then, you know, going the other way, of course, as well, is, uh, you know, we're working on, on programs that are building in competencies for some certifications that we're aware of. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, we are, uh, several of our programs, our MBA in particular, uh, is uh, uh, accredited by the Project Management Institute. And so we built in our project management concentration in that, in that program, we built coursework around the competencies required for the project management certification. Mm. Right. So it's about being cognizant of uh, of those uh, flows in both directions, preparing our students to think about and be situated to enter into a credentialing program, and then those that have credentials to be able to complete their education in a cost-effective way uh, through pathways, and that is really the key piece. I, I stress that all the time with my team, uh, the need to to think about clear pathways for the adult student. Um, that's so important, and that's actually true for any student, frankly. Um, students fail to retain and complete if the uh, environment is too too many choices. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm a, I'm an advocate of yes, I know we need to have choices to expand our horizons, etc. But but in some cases, a criticism of, of more traditional approaches is it's provide too many choices, and students aren't getting the courses or the advice they need, and not well structuring their own pro- part of their program. Um, and I know from experience with the adult students that the more that we can uh, be very um, clear about the pathways to achieving the goals and why, um, the uh, the more uh, robust that experience. Well, it's interesting because uh, we recently did a, a trends webinar to highlight what we see as uh, uh, trends that are emerging out there. And, and one of the ones we identified was what we what we call career pathing or visioning. And I think I must have been unconsciously influenced uh, by by what I'd seen going on with NIGP and, and Norwich, because, yeah. you know, the idea is you really, you show the student the path, what, what's possible for them within that particular career, and it can be related to, you know, formal education, it can be related to credentialing, it can be related to the informal opportunities that are available, but, but really, you know, show them the vision of what's possible and, and put them on that path, and I mean, they're going to thank you for doing that, because it, you know, helps make things clear, you know, what, what's, what's possible for them in this particular field or, or profession, um, so I, I think that's just such an important concept. Oh, it, it clearly is, yes. And and the other concept that relates to that, and I'm looking at it from the student perspective in a program, is that career development, career services, they should not be an afterthought. Right, right. It's not I go through the I go through my program. Oh, I'm at the end. Now what do I do? I need to find you know a job, a pathway, or whatever. That really needs to be something that starts at the admissions process, mm-hmm. the beginning, the first steps of the journey into into a program. Uh, to be cognizant of that. So we've been adding tools to our programs and, and some uh, uh, professional development tools uh, to help students uh, think about that and, and, and work through that as they're going through their program. Now, we have a lot of work to do, uh, but, uh, but I think the pathways part, is, is, as you mentioned, is extremely important. Definitely. Now, so how do you go about finding partners or how do partners go about finding you? I mean, if somebody's listening right now and says, wow, this is, this is interesting, uh, I could see a potential for working with Norwich, how would that actually happen? Well, um, I think the, the 
first uh, steps that we've taken from inside the university, and I might add that I'll entertain anybody that's interested in learning more can uh, feel free to contact me. Um, I don't know. I could probably provide you with some contact information. I think you have some of my information. Um, uh, well, the, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, ask, we'll ask for that too before we before we uh, okay yeah that's great in the yeah. interview well, yeah we'll definitely ask for your contact information so folks can do that uh, but so so okay. what's what's the process what's, well I think so what we have done as we've we've started to take a look at our academic programs and, uh, and working at developing more continuing education uh, activities and programs uh, we've looked at what really fits with what we have first. Uh, what are the types of programs we have? Um, where are the areas where we can engage that clutch, if you will, with industry, right, and professional associations, professional communities much more strongly? Mm-hmm. So some of our programs, you know, the MBA and the public administration program in particular, where we've, we've developed a, uh, you know, public finance and procurement um, procurement uh, element to our master public administration program and have injected that as well into our into our bachelor of science and management science uh, program uh, and to continue to build those so it's what where are those pathways where are those connections and where are some really solid partners out there so we've gone out and looked and said well you know who who are leaders um, in these fields that are providing certification so that's uh, you know NIGP uh, rose to the top um, in that regard, uh, looking mm-hmm. in, into that field. Uh, so that's a key piece. But also we have been approached uh, from time to time and have always worked closely with the military. So that's uh, that's something that's just been in our DNA, if you will. Right. Uh, but certainly approached by by uh, outside entities and welcome those where, uh, where we might be consulted to help um, uh, articulate these pathways or help uh, with workforce development, right? With uh, with improving the uh, capabilities, uh, productivity, uh, and um, performance levels of uh, of, uh, of a company or an association or a group, so I think it can flow both ways. But uh, more than happy to to entertain any uh, any and all uh, contacts for those that are interested, because the guiding principle here is to more closely align our uh, our academic programs with um, the uh, business world, if you will, the government world. Industry, generally speaking, uh, public or, or private, uh, that's really a key piece. Well, I'm going to ask you in just a minute to to let folks know how to contact you. But um, before we get to that, I want to uh, switch gears just a, a little bit and get a little personal because you know we've we've been talking about continuing education, we've been talking about lifelong learning. This is the Leading Learning Podcast, and so we like to ask okay. every guest who comes on to the show, you know. What is one of the most powerful learning experiences experiences that you've been involved in as an adult since you know since finishing your formal education? And it can be you know something where you were a learner, or it could be something you helped to lead or facilitate. But uh, what what jumps out in your mind as a as a powerful lifelong learning experience you've had? Well, you know, I think, um, and that's not a hard one to answer, because when I came to the university as a new assistant professor in the 1980s, uh, you know, we were still using desktop PCs, etc. cetera. Uh, the concept of the World Wide Web or the Internet wasn't on our vocabulary mm-hmm. at that time. And as that began to emerge, I think I just saw such great promise um, in improving education, I, I, I was one of the first faculty members 
on campus, for instance, to get rid of my desktop and go to laptops when they became available. And and I taught myself to write HTML. Wow. Um, and built web pages, uh, web pages for my classes and saw how positively the students responded to that. Now, by today's standards, they're pretty primitive, but um, it was that process of moving from the classroom uh, into, into a digital world and to using that to foster what we were trying to do in the classroom and seeing how, how the students really embraced that and were excited, excited by that. Mm-hmm. And then just continuing to do that, that's actually how I ended up in my, uh, in my role as dean and the, and the vice president, uh, you know, for our online school, if you will, uh, because it was such a central part of um, of that development. So I've continued to do that because it's just a constantly evolving uh, endeavor. Um, the technology's changing, our student needs are changing, and and so the real uh, learning experience. Of course, I've been, you know, you've been reading widely. Uh, I'm, I'm perhaps more of an independent uh, independent learner. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite a library on you know, what's happening in higher education and in some of the approaches and the technologies. And so it's been a constant process. If I've learned anything that the university or particularly somebody in my role or leading an online program, uh, it's not a build it, forget it, it'll be okay, maybe we'll come back in five years and look at revising it. It's constant. Mm-hmm. It's simply constant. And and I like to say that um, that one year, uh, one year in in our life in the online college is it's it's equal to you know three years of other time, <laughs> right. because we're just constantly going. We never, with adult students and the need to have continual learning, uh, we never shut down except once a year, and that's going to commence on Friday. We we shut down the week before Christmas and New Year's. Right. Right. Time the whole university is closed. That's the only week of the year that we give our students a break. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, I can certainly relate to that experience of uh, getting on board with technology early. And uh, and you're right. I mean, it is a it is a real learning experience to uh, kind of jump on that and keep riding that wave uh, year over year to to where it's now brought us. And and it's gonna it's gonna keep rolling uh, definitely. So, oh well, yes, yes. And and I would add to that. It's simply you know I've also been attending. I attend a lot of conferences and mm. uh, and uh, to keep up on on what's happening with that. But as I said, it's a continual process. It just never ends. Well, Bill, it's been uh, fantastic uh, talking with you. I've I've learned a lot in the in the process, and uh, as I said, I wanted to ask you, you know, how how can folks find out more about Norwich, uh, more about Norwich online, and and how might they get in in, in touch with you if, if they had questions or if they were uh, potentially uh, interested in a in a partnership or collaboration type opportunity? Sure, sure. Well, if you go to uh, online.norwich.edu. Um, and, and look under the uh, partner section. We have a web page that uh, has uh, some material on how to become a partner. And uh, you could provide contact information there, and our, uh, our uh, staff would uh, gladly follow up um, and to talk more about uh, what it is you'd like to do. But uh, once again, that's www.online.norwich.edu. Um, and look under the menu for partners at the top top bar. Well, great. And we'll be sure to link to that as well in the show notes for this episode to make it easy for folks to get there. So, Bill, thanks so much for taking the time to, to come and share with folks on the Leading Learning Podcast. 
Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. That wraps up our interview with Bill Clements. To get show notes for this episode, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 116. While you're there, you will see various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of the podcast and you aren't already subscribed, we would be truly grateful if you would. We would also be truly grateful if you take just a minute to give us a rating and review on iTunes. Very easy to do. All you have to do is go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. We always appreciate hearing that you're getting value out of the podcast and it helps others who may be looking for this kind of information to find the podcast. And we'd also be grateful if you would take a minute to visit our sponsor for this quarter, Blue Sky eLearn. We really do put a lot of work into producing and delivering the Leading Learning Podcast, and one of the key reasons we're able to do that is because of the support of sponsors like Blue Sky. So please check them out at blueskyelearn.com. In addition to finding out about their services, you'll also find a variety of great resources that they offer for free. Finally, consider telling others about the podcast. And we always say this, but now is the time to do it. If you go to that show notes page at episode 116, you're going to see uh, multiple social sharing buttons there that you can use. You can send out a tweet simply by going to leadinglearning.com slash share, and that's going to automatically pop up a tweet for you to just click send on. Or you can take that language and put it into any social network of your preference. But whatever you do, spread the good word. Thanks again and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.